0: The Indian Institutes of Management, or IIMs, they are among the most prestigious institutions in India. Every year, lakhs of people compete in the CAT, the entrance exam, just for a few hundred seats of admission into one of these colleges. And that is for a valid reason. That's because the IIM graduate tag is considered very valuable in most professional circles. But the IIM Institute is only as good as its defining factors. In the past few months, Olina, who covers education here at the Ken, has been following the IIMs. She's written two explosive stories on the IIM franchise versus the IIM brand and the leadership storm growing in IIM
1: Calcutta. So since I've written these stories, a lot of students have come forward with their experiences. They're from different IIMs, and each IM has its individual problem. But there are clear patterns, overarching systemic problems with the institution as a whole.
0: Since the IIM's establishment in the 1960s, there are now 20 IIMs across the country. With this explosive expansion came a few existential questions. And it seems now that the IIM ecosystem has come to a tipping point. Well, it can no longer go on without reckoning with these questions. Hello and welcome to Unofficial Sources, a business podcast by The Ken. I'm Anushka Chikara. And I'm Alana Banerjee. Up top, in the first segment, we are taking a deep dive into the Indian Institutes of Management. We look at their history since their foundation in the 1960s and their evolution to present day. During this evolution, there are existential questions that have popped up that will decide their future. In the second segment, Rohin and Praveen are joined by the co-founder and CEO of Coo. Aaprameya Radhakrishna. Stay tuned. After gaining independence from the British in 1947, India grew rapidly in the 1950s. We saw a rise in public sector enterprises that were being established as part of industrial policies. And a common problem arose from this. Uh,
2: So, if you look at the IIMs, they were set up in the early uh, 1960s as a complement to the technology and engineering institutes which were being set up at that time. The logic was fairly simple.
1: That's Rishikesha Krishnan, the current director of IIM Bangalore and the former director of IIM Indore. We reached out to him for an insider voice for this story.
2: The logic was that with all the technological and manufacturing capability that was being set up, managerial capability was also required in order to execute the large projects and to achieve the objectives which the country hoped to from all those major investments that were happening. So that was the logic with which the IIMs were set up.
0: The first three IMs were set up in Ahmedabad, Bangalore and Calcutta. These institutes became receptacles for a domestic talent pool of students who were skilled and trained, ready for eager recruiters to pick up. Initially the location for the first IIM was to be Mumbai, India's business hub. But the Bombay University staunchly opposed autonomy for IIM.
1: This is where things get interesting. When we say autonomy here, we mean that while IIMs are government institutes, they want to be at an arm's length from the government. This means that they won't be governed by a regular university's rules and they have the ability to set their own curriculum, pay teachers at a market rate and set student fee levels without any interference. The government clearly wanted more control, but this autonomy was a non-negotiable demand for the setup of these institutes.
0: It was at this time industrialists Vikram Sarabhai and Kastur Bhai Lalbhai, along with the then Chief Minister of Gujarat, Jivraj Mehta, seized the opportunity. While IIM Ahmedabad was to be the first institute established, due to a series of events, IIM Calcutta actually ended up being the first Indian Institute of Management, then followed by IIM Ahmedabad and finally IIM Bangalore making the 3 the first generation iim setup and soon enough the high demand for iim graduates across industries in india led to cutthroat competition for admissions and the iim graduate tag became a very valuable one and its value just kept rising then the 90s saw the economic liberalization of india economic liberalization this essentially meant that the country expanded the role of private and foreign investment. The floodgates had opened, and there was an explosion of companies in India. Many international banks came in and set up base operations in India. And it was at this time that IAM's Lucknow, Indore, and Coimbatore were set up.
2: As I mentioned, we had a gap till the early 80s when IAM Lucknow was started. And then once again, you had an even longer gap for almost 15 years till IIM Kori Code and IIM Indore was started in the late 1990s. Of course, by that time, the liberalization process had kicked in and the nature of the economy was changing fast. The private sector was becoming the growth engine of the economy and naturally opportunities for MBA graduates also increased significantly.
1: So these IIMs in Lucknow, Indore, and Code, or IIM-LIK as we like to call them, saw a similar success to the original IIMs in Ahmedabad, Bangalore, and Calcutta, IIM-ABC, for future reference. This is also because the 80s and 90s saw a rise in private sector companies like Reliance and Tata, who were all clamoring to get a pick of these skilled graduates.
2: A lot of the best opportunities today are in areas like management consulting, uh, a big change happened in the early 90s when the top global management consulting firms started recruiting from the IAMs. I'm referring to McKinsey, BCG, etc. So that created a really attractive career track for some of the most talented students. And in recent years, we have seen organizations like startups or organizations in the e-commerce space, all the emerging domains like fintech, Uh, recruiting extensively from the IIM. So today, the management graduate from an IIM has a whole range of options to choose from.
0: So the IIMs went from being a receptacle of just domestic talent pool to an international one. And
1: this wasn't just coincidental. The IIMs had stepped up as well, reinventing themselves to match global standards. To compete in global rankings, they couldn't just be teaching colleges anymore. That just pumped out hireable students. The IAMs had to be original creators of knowledge. For IAMs ABC and LIK, research became a huge priority. This reinvention was also partially forced by circumstances IAMs found themselves in around the mid-2000s. The government had started to talk about more autonomy which was basically code for gradually stopping the funds they gave to Ims this meant ims needed large corpuses endowment funds research grants etc to keep going the ims were indeed pioneers but they also had to maintain their lead
0: to understand how an im system really works we need to zoom out of its history and zoom in into its key ingredients so, Alina, how exactly do we look
1: at this IAM system? So, Anushka, any IM or any institute, for that matter, has to check a couple of boxes to ensure that it's in good health, right? Uh, there's obviously the faculty, which both is both permanent and visiting, access to good recruiters, the democratic governance systems within these colleges, the coursework and the research coming out of the institute and most importantly, the culture. Now, culture can be a bit tricky to grasp because culture, though crucial, is quite an abstract concept.
0: Now, we know that the LIK expansion was a successful endeavor for the IIMs. Um, Given these factors, how did they manage
1: to do that? It's been an interesting experiment. So, think of a newer IAM like a petri dish, right? Where a new director and faculty have to grow the ideal conditions for an ideal IAM. The best way it can be argued is to replicate. So what you'll find is that in a lot of the newer IAMs, at least initially, they were mentored and in fact staffed by professors from IMABC. This is also what the government recommended in a review report it did about the IMs in 2008 move people, and people will bring what is quintessential IIM culture to these new places. And they would set the bedrock for further growth. So also Rishikesha
0: Krishnan, um, you know, the director of IIM Bangalore that you spoke to, as you said, was also the director of IIM Indore. So he's also a perfect example to illustrate how um, people, faculty moving around within these IIMs bring along the culture and value with them. Yeah, that's actually a great example. So now is probably a good time to talk about the second and third generation IIMs that was set up post-2010. And let's use these boundary conditions to figure out if these waves of expansion were successful.
1: The second and third waves of IIM expansions came in 2007 and then 2015. Other than the ABCs and the LIKs, there are 14 other IMs. The IMs that were set up in the second and third waves aren't just clustered in the big industrial cities or in metros like the legacy IMs, but they're there in smaller cities as well like I Amritsar, Shillong, Vishakapatnam, Bodh Gaya, Sambalpur, Sir. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, hold on. Um, okay, so these are
0: Obviously, quite different than the first few cities that the IAMs were set up in, right? Um, And to be honest, I don't recognize the names of some of these cities personally, but I want to understand like, with the first IAMs, the motive was to set up in these large industrial cities, right? But that's clearly changed with these next waves. So, what was the idea behind this move?
1: Well, I don't want to be controversial, but hey, I think the choice of these locations were political and I have good reason for saying so.
0: Right. So let's talk about these uh, political motivations.
1: I spoke to an IAM professor about this, Anushka, actually, and he spoke to me uh, on the condition of anonymity. And what he told me is that usually the most powerful or longest serving member of parliament from a particular state makes the choice. So that's why we now have IAMs where there's little airport connectivity. So to give you an example, uh, an IM in Chennai would have made immensely more sense than an IIM in Trichy.
0: But that's, that's not too bad of a decision, though, right? Um, and the consequence it has. Um, I think, like, isn't it a good thing if an elite institute or institutes are set up in smaller cities? It increases the accessibility to these places.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and we're not placing any kind of value judgment on the location of an IAM. And the idea behind expansion of the IAM brand is that more students get access. But that's not the ideal scenario right now. The location of an IAM, fortunately or unfortunately, is crucial. Um, can, can you explain that a bit more? Sure. So, for any IM, right, its location determines the kind of stakeholders it gets: students, faculties, recruiters. And they need to, these where these IMs are need to be accessible by airports for you know recruiters and guest faculty to fly in and fa- fly out and travel to over the weekends. They also need to be in cities. Um, which offer, you know, something for younger faculty members to move in with their families. And so when an IM is in a slightly remote location or it's not accessible, it's not really easy to retain faculty uh, in in those IMs. Now, let's look at IM Trichy as as we were talking about before, right? The first director of IM Trichy was uh, an IMC professor called Prafula Agnihotri. And I spoke to him when I originally reported the story. Now, Agnihotri has had a 15-year stint with I Calcutta, and it naturally helped him reach out to a lot of guest faculty, a lot of senior faculty to come and teach at I am you know, especially when it was trying to build up and was trying to attract more students. But this is where I think, you know, he, he, he says that retaining talent was the biggest, one of the biggest challenges of his tenure. Trichi is, as he explains it, a small town contained fully within two parallel one kilometer roads, right? And, Despite his connections with industry leaders and his connections with other, you know, senior professors, nobody was willing to travel for a day and a half to address students on campus. And the same problem happened with recruiters who ended up opting for more accessible IMs. So he's he, he he actually told me that you know this this was one of the most significant challenges in getting IM Trichy up and running. And and the and the location of an IM also impacts its campus. Again, let's take Trichy as an example. For the first year of its operation, the campus of the IIM was, I mean, it was running out of the library of an engineering college. Now, this doesn't provide the kind of culture that IIMs need to grow. Students, recruiters, they don't really want to come to an unfinished, uncertain sort of campus, right? As you can imagine, it doesn't really inspire confidence. And where an IIM is located sits at the heart of what we call a typical wicket problem location impacts recruitment, which in turn impacts the outputs of an IM, its placements, etc. And what exactly is a wicked problem? The easiest way to explain this is that it's a lot of smaller problems connected with each other to form this giant, you know, jumbled, problematic mass. Think about issues like climate change or water scarcity or even how to get your elected representative to work for your constituency. The thing is, with a wicked problem, there's no easy solution. There's no silver bullet. So all the factors here that make up an IIM, the faculty, research, recruitment, culture, governance, etc., they're all deeply connected with each other. The wicked problem at the newer IMs is that no matter which strain you pick to solve, it's always going to end up impacting something else. Now let's
0: focus on the democratic governance.
1: So Alina, one thing that
0: I noticed in your story was that the director of an IIM has a huge say in how the institute is run.
1: Yes, the analogy that I was given during my reporting was that a director is sort of like the CEO of a company.
0: Okay, but, but an institute is not a corporation, right? So here I'm referring to the whole argument about how at some of the newer IIMs, Non-IM directors seem to have missed the memo a bit about the typical IM culture. Um, these institutes
1: have become too top-down, too autocratic. So, I think you're partly right. Uh, the way to think about this is that when a new IM is set up, a current IM professor or director is probably best positioned to launch the new institute. They can carry the culture and processes from an older IM to a newer one. They can provide some kind of continuity.
0: I'm guessing that's uh, the continuity stays unless they're
1: changed. Yes, and that's crucial. So, my reporting shows that what happened to, say, a campus like Trichy uh, when the director's post changed hands? Uh, it changed from an IM insider to basically somebody who's an outsider to the IM system, somebody from the public university system. To be clear, I don't think pedigree is such an issue. Uh, a non IM director could lead a new IM. It's just that the 2017 IM Act, uh, which was passed by the government of India, gives the director and the board a lot of power to take decisions. It gives them a loophole, in fact, to make unilateral decisions. How, like, how does that work? Remember when I said the director is like a CEO? Well, the IM Act has turned the board of directors of any IM into a corporate board with the ultimate hire and fire power. If the board now entrusts a director with that power, then the director becomes the final authority of things.
0: And this could cut both ways, right? Um, Directors could bring in a more egalitarian culture or, as you wrote in the story, make things more top-down.
1: Correct. So it's a structural flaw in the system. You need a strong leader to help a new IM grow, but then the leader also has the power to change the rules of the game.
0: Now, at this point, present day, the Indian institutes of management are at a tricky place in their evolution. These existential questions that have popped up throughout their evolution, well, they're at this point where they must face and reckon with them. And these questions are at the heart of the systemic challenge.
1: And the problems that have been created by the IIM Act affect even legacy IIMs. I'm referring to how IIM Calcutta has been caught in this contentious battle between their new director, their board and their faculty.
2: That's true of most organizations in the sense that generally in strategy, the subject I teach, we teach a subject, we teach a idea called strategic fit. And what we say when an organization has strategic fit, Its strategy is aligned with the environment and its internal organizational structures, systems and processes are aligned with the strategy. When all of this alignment happens, an organization is usually successful. But there is also a danger in this. What happens when the environment changes? If your alignment is so tight, it's so well done that things have been working extremely well in the past, and then this big change comes along, it's often quite difficult for any organization, and that's true of an educational institution as well, to make the changes that are required in order to create the new alignment which will work in the future.
1: We'll be back after this short break. Hi everyone, I'm Prajipta and I head the design team at The Ken. We've all heard about Florence Nightingale, but what I love about her is that she was a brilliant statistician. She is said to have invented the famous Coxcomb graph that built a case for better sanitization in military hospitals. Imagine a graph that may have saved countless lives. Here, at the Ken, data and infographics play a similar role. While we may not be saving lives, we often use charts to break down complex sets of information and make them consumable for our subscribers. Sometimes, our infographics themselves do the talking. And we'd love for you to experience them as well. So for our podcast listeners, we've set up a special offer on the-ken.com slash podcast offer. That's the-ken.com slash podcast offer. It will be linked in the show notes. Thank you for listening.
3: Hello, listeners. We're back again to a new episode. And today we've got a very interesting guest in this segment. Radha Radhakrishna. Uh, many of you may know him, but for those of you who don't, Aprameya is what they call a serial entrepreneur and also a serial angel investor. I'll get to both bits in a while. He's an engineer and an MBA. And a couple of years outside of his MBA, he started a ride-hailing company called Taxi for Sure in late 2010. Five years later, he sold it to Ola, India's largest ride-hailing company, for $200 million. Then, for a couple of years, he was an angel investor, not doing much. In 2017, he started a company called Vocal, which I can only describe as Kora for Bharat. I'm sure premier uh, will disagree with it. Then, in 2019, he started another company, which was called Ku K-O-O. K-O-O. Twitter for India. That's the focus of our podcast today and that's why we have Aprameh on the show. Hello Aprameh and welcome to our show.
4: Hi Rohan, thanks for having me.
3: Thanks for joining us. Uh, For those of you who don't know yet, uh, of course, Ku is extremely popular. It's the challenger uh, to Twitter in India. Uh, I told you it started in November 2019. That's when they started working on it. In early 2020, I think it was in March, they won the Indian government's Atmanirbhar app challenge, which was a challenge uh, designed to spur locally made apps, which would rival international um, apps and platforms. And who won it. And since then, um, it's had a fairly tremendous rise, especially in 2021. We'll get to that later. A um, broad subject for this podcast today, will be, can Ku beat the odds and become really successful? Before we get on to the show, I must also add a disclaimer. Remember I told you, Aprameya is a serial angel investor. One of his angel investments is in the ken. It's an important disclaimer. It shouldn't affect our questions, I hope, but that's really for you, the listeners, to decide. My other guest is Praveen Gopal Krishnan who's a writer with The Ken, also our CEO, and a former product manager when he joined us three years ago, which is important, uh, as we'll get to know. And then, of course, there's me, Rohan Kumar, one of the co-founders of The Ken, and unfortunately, its CEO, and also a terrible podcast host. That's right. I must tell you this. Um, one of our listeners wrote this on Twitter, and I'm reading this out loud. Hey, Ken, please don't cast Rohan in the next Unofficial Sources podcast. He is irritating. P.S. I know he's a co-founder, but not a good speaker. I'm really sorry about this. But for now, we're just sticking with me.
5: Let me just say for the record that I tried my level best to become the host of this show. But sadly, I'm going to stick around for some more time as a panelist.
3: I know all your secret fans, Praveen. Hey Aprameya, welcome once again. And let's dive right in. Firstly, what is Ku? Short answer. Since you're a microblogging platform, so I'll hold you to that. <laughs> yeah, so Ku is a microblogging platform for
4: India. Focusing on making sure that the voices of India, irrespective of language, get to be on the internet. So far, you know. Microblogging is predominantly in English, and hence the English speaking population of India is the reflection of the voice of India to the world, right? But that's not entirely true, right? India is a lot more than just the English. Fair
3: population. point. Are, are you saying, therefore, that in some senses your Twitter but with Indian languages?
4: Well, the premise is high frequency communication, right? Uh, so what do I think about things happening around me how do I share what's happening in my life right so if if I make it a free flow long form the frequency in with which people will come and share what they have on their mind is going to increase uh, sorry reduce right hmm. so once in a month I'll write a blog once in two weeks I'll make a podcast right uh, so
3: long sure but the yeah. But all of these are true for Twitter also, right? So in some senses, you're saying that like Twitter's format uh, lends itself to frequency. So does KOOS, right?
4: So the format, yes. But the nuances for India is
5: very different. I can, I can get into Yeah,
3: We'll definitely get into later. I think, Praveen, you wanted to add something, right?
5: Yeah, I was just really curious about um, nuances for India. I mean, it's it's such a long time that somebody has said, especially in terms of social, that there are nuances in them. Really, I'm just waiting to see what that is. We'll get to that. Uh, Apremeh, tell us
3: how many users does Ku have right now? And, and what kind of metrics do you look at uh, when you look at uh, your success?
4: Yeah, so the publicly disclosed figure uh, is the number of downloads that we have. Right. So... Uh, okay. That is close to five million downloads now. Uh, with our biggest communities being Hindi and English, and uh, for- how many languages do you support? So we have about eight languages at different uh, stages, plus English.
3: In November two thousand eighteen, why did you folks start building Ku? At that point, you'd already spent about what two years on Vocal, which. Um, was a way for people to ask questions in their respective languages and get answers, right? Which is yes. why I said, "Kora for Bharat, right? Correct. And I did my, uh, you know, reading up on vocal. And I think uh, early 2020, you guys were at like 20 million users or MAUs or something like that, right? So you had yeah. vocal going on. So yeah. while vocal was going on, why did you start KU? What led to it? So our community of answers on
4: vocal, uh, basically... Asked us why? Why only answer questions, right? Why can't I just say what is on my mind, right? So that that was that was a feeling that multiple uh, answerers were actually te- asking questions on, right? And we said, okay, there are existing uh, platforms that allow you to go and express yourself. Uh, why wouldn't an answerer who's answering mostly in local language on Vocal want to use those products? And then when we dug deeper, we found that you know, the environment created is not conducive for local language speakers. Right. So that's where we said, okay, let's
3: build a platform where we solve for local language first. And that's interesting. So if I may just understand, you're saying you started vocal as a way for people to ask questions in their respective languages and get answers to that. Yeah. And once you started doing that, you're saying people started asking you, hey, but why, if I can answer questions in my local language, why can't I just say whatever I want in my local language as well? Correct. So Correct. that you're saying was the organic yeah, serendipitous yeah. evolution of ku
4: Correct. And then we, we then said, let's create a conducive environment. What I mean by conducive environment is that you get into that language, your community, right? Uh, when you get into that community, when you download the app, the whole app is in that language, one. So all instructions, everything is in that language. Two, you can find people from your community. In existing platforms, it is almost impossible for you to go and find somebody unless you know who you're searching for, right? Here you can discover people from your community who are creating good content.
3: Three, you can create content easily in local language, right? Is there, for instance, some kind of cross-connection between co users and vocal users? Not at all. This is a separate app. When you go into Po, you are able to discover
4: people from the same local language community. So there are people who are generating content on a daily basis. And for you to find a fellow Tamilian, fellow Kanadiga, fellow Marathi person. So it is very difficult on other platforms. Here you are going into that language. And hence you can go and see, scroll through a number of people from the chief minister of the state. To the normal guy, right? Girl,
3: Yeah. What happened to Vocal?
4: It's still there. As in it's uh, growing well. Uh, We've created a community that's creating answers. There are people asking questions. Uh, It's getting to about 25 million monthly active users now. It will grow to 100 million users uh,
3: monthly. Just so we're clear, you're in parallel trying to build a Quora for Bharat and a Twitter for Bharat with separate user bases. Yeah,
5: Praveen, do you want to like yeah, you know me chime me in here that, as a product manager? No, no, no. Let me just say that the parallels to these to between Ku and Twitter are far more striking than we think they are. It, this idea of uh, CEOs running two companies at the same time is exactly the same. Even Jack Dorsey runs two companies at the same time, so I like this. Uh, are you, Aparame, Are you CEO of both companies? Yeah, I
3: am.
5: <laughs> CEO of two companies. <laughs>
3: so. I must also like, you know, point out that you had raised, I think, uh, $6.5 million uh, into the parent company of Vocal from yeah. a bunch of investors, right? right? And then subsequently, I think in the last few months, you've raised another $4.1 which is after launching Koo. Yeah. So were these two funding rounds, $6.5 $4.1 respectively for Vocal and Koo? Was that how yeah. it worked out? When we raised the
4: 6.25 million, uh, there was no coup. So it was 100% raised for vocal. Uh, and we, we have enough money left for vocal, right? Uh, so when we found the product market fit for uh, coup, uh, we said, you know, it's, it's not fair to take the money that we raised for vocal and, you know, start getting very aggressive uh, on coup, right? So we said we, we need to raise separate money uh, for this separate product. And there will be enough interested folks to come and, uh, you know... Invest but it's still
3: in. the same parent company. It's
4: still the same parent company. But uh-huh. within the parent company, you know, you kind of allocate resources. right? Uh,
5: so, so so, what does that look like now? How many employees on Vocal? How many employees on Ku? If employees is one way to determine resources.
4: Yeah. yeah. So the engineering team is common. Like Vocal is a more mature product. Uh, uh-huh. It's two years old. Uh, Ku uh-huh. uh, is a much smaller product. Uh, younger product, so it needs a lot more attention. So most engineers work on uh, Vocal is steady state; it's it's running by itself. Uh, community is coming and answering; they're asking questions. So the growth on Vocal is 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 on its own, right?
3: So uh, so here's my question, right? Yeah. Um, and now I'm seeing like some entirely different product similarities, like Facebook and Instagram. You're the CEO of both companies. You've got common set of engineers working on both products. Both your products allow users to express themselves or answer themselves or ask questions in local Indian languages. Yeah. So why do you have two different sets of users? Why are Instagram users not also Facebook users or WhatsApp users? And similarly, why are vocal users not cool users and vice versa? Okay. So there is an important
4: concept of mood of an app, okay? So when you have a lot of apps on your phone and the one reason that you click on the icon of an app is the mood of the app, okay? So Facebook is about family and friends. So when you click on that, you're subconsciously, that's where they started and hence you're also subconsciously opening To either go and express yourself to family and friends. That's why you will put holiday pictures, life updates on Facebook, Hmm. right? You will also be in the hope of going and finding updates from your
3: friends and family, right? You could do that with the same user ID, right? I'm just saying that you could use, (laughs) one could be a co-user.
4: What mood of a platform is all about. It is very, Hmm. very important, right? To understand. So Facebook is family and friends. Instagram is lifestyle, what I eat, who I'm with, what I wear, where I work out, you know, this is lifestyle. I will go to Instagram to express lifestyle or consume lifestyle. Sure. Right. And lifestyle is best expressed with videos and photos. Sure. Right. TikTok, right, is
5: micro performance performance. and performance. Correct. micro Bollywood. Right. Yeah. So I get it. So Aparamay, you're getting to the point that Koo has a different mood as opposed to and, both so, and what is the so, difference really?
4: Yeah, the mood with which people come into vocal is a search mood or answering mood, right? Hmm. The mood with which you come into KU is to express thoughts and opinions.
3: Hmm. All right, which is a perfect segue for us to kind of ask, ask, the, ask you the first question, right? Which is, is KU the Twitter for Bharat? Or is it something fundamentally different? I mean, I actually want to ask Praveen this question first. Before I come to you,
5: Aprameya. what do you think, Praveen? Um, first disclaimer, I haven't used Ku extensively. I've seen some screen grabs and i played with it in its early days. But here is what I think. In general, there have generally been a lot of companies that come in and say that... And I'm not saying Qoo is doing this. But I'm saying that they come in and say, we are going to be the X of India. And the layer that we add on top of that is languages. And this is not unusual. Uh, If you look at someone like, say, Hike, Hike essentially had a very similar thing. Of course, later they went into stickers and all, but their initial plus point was languages, languages, languages. So this language thing has been done. Um, I'm right now, it looks like for me, as someone who is slightly distanced, it looks like Twitter for India with this layer on top of it. So yeah. Pramir, you have to tell us why I'm wrong.
4: Yeah, so as I said, the... The main reason for existence is to express thoughts and opinions, right? Now you can express thoughts and opinions in, in multiple ways, right? You can type, you can voice, you can take a video, right? Okay. If, you, if you look at the nuances that we've introduced in creation, there are various aspects to the nuances, but in creation, you we've actually gone gotten deeper into language creation, right? If you type... What does that mean? Yeah, so when you go to the create page of Ku, and let's say you choose to type, right, um, you without actually having any other app on your phone, you can use your English keyboard and start typing in local languages, like the phonetic, uh, you know, uh, way, and the app will type in that local language as long as you are in that l- language community, right? Hmm. So it is default. By default, you're typing in local language, right?
3: And it's. The I must ask you this, right? What's the tech behind your, uh, is is it your own? Are you licensing it from someone else? Like the local languages, it's your yeah, own?
4: It's our own, it's our own. Uh, so this whole typing thing is, is our own. Uh, okay. And we also know that the first few users who come may be comfortable with typing, because we're at the top of the funnel. And as sure. we get deeper and deeper, people may not want to type and they might want to voice out their opinion. Right. So we've actually... Can I ask you
3: just to explain for our listeners, what do you mean by top of funnel?
4: Top of the pyramid rather. Right. So, you know, we segment India into A, B and C. Right. A is the highly influential thousand, two thousand, five thousand people of India. Hmm. Right. There are that many influential folks. Hmm. B... Is the intellectual who knows English right? And that person is connected to the Western world, got it right? And most Western products uh, attract this intellectual B segment because you know, all the intellectual B segment uh, wants is oh, okay, I also want to use the most coolest, the coolest app that's available today, right? So that's the zone.
3: That, that all of us it's operate. interesting that you should choose to use the word intellectual instead of elite or urban yeah. and stuff
4: it's c, c segment is, is still the aspirational india the india right. which still thinks it it has a lot to achieve right
3: how large is that
4: that is 95% of india
3: hmm. right
4: and that's who you're going after correct they have never been comfortable using the western products for the purpose they have been built for right so there are 600 million internet users and on microblogging in India there are probably about 20 million users who use products every day right Sure. every month rather not every day right sure. monthly active user in microblogging in India is 20 million the internet using population of India is 600 million right yeah. so that is a minuscule percentage of
5: how many people can actually use it, right? Okay, point noted, here. But if I may pay, play a little bit of a devil's advocate here, that, that distribution is more or less correct with respect to microblogging. But microblogging as a product in itself, it generally has low penetration. If you look at, say, Twitter, I'm taking Twitter as an example because that is obviously microblogging. If you look at that, say, as a percentage of U.S. internet users, that's also fairly small. People have always said how Twitter has oh, vastly... Uh, no, but that is all not true about, say, Facebook in India. Facebook in India is vastly, it's it's pervasive. Fa- uh, Instagram in India is relatively pervasive. And I don't think the difference entirely comes with languages. It probably comes with the idea of microblogging as a product. Don't you think so? So I'll give you another
4: example, right? Um, sure. So we're assuming that there is only one microblogging platform in the world and they've done the best job that is possible. So that's the mm-hmm. assumption with which you're making your statements. Okay, fair point. But if you look at china's weibo right they have half of their internet using population as users in china right hmm. now if you take that the real potential of users in india hmm. could be at least half the population of internet users what
3: has weibo done which twitter hasn't done in your opinion since you well, seem to have studied it
4: i i i think uh, it is it is about being able to express in a community that is inclusive, right? It's not distracted by other languages. It's not. So a lot of things are not just about what you see on the product. It is not the interface. It is who is involved, how they talk, what do they talk about? Hmm. Do I have Got it. you know a sense of security talking amongst people like me in my country, in my region? So all of this, so lots of people might not want to say everything to the world. But if you give it in their language community, they're very happy. So it's like, you know, what I would be comfortable saying in a small little room with my best friends. Right? Is different from what I will say in my company. Is different from what I will say on TV. It is different from what I will tell the world. Right? So the smaller, the, the more comfort I get about the people I'm with. The context of what I will say will differ. When I say "I," I mean everybody, right? What what sure. office? Uh, differences? is very different.
3: This essentially brings me uh, to my second point, which is: you seem to be going after specific Indian languages, specific states, specific cultures, etc., and stuff like that. Are you? Are I, I understand the benefit of targeting a niche and I understand the benefit of having like a community which is similar to you but are you doing this too early in Ku's um, evolution normally you see platforms achieve scale before they get they enable features that allow for small communities languages etc right by doing this so early do you risk within your own ku community, small pools form which don't talk to each other and therefore inhibit the overall growth of the platform itself?
4: So everybody uh, has a need to go and express themselves right Uh, one thing that's common in India is that everybody has an opinion about everything right you sit in a cab you talk to a cab driver he will tell you more insights into politics than you would have ever had right uh, you talk to your maid they will know about you know what's happening around uh, india and which policies are affecting them not affecting them in a different manner right so i think the the problem lies in the fact that the voice of indian language speakers is not on the internet right and the way to solve it is by going deep into the language it is not by again starting with english and you know giving that audience which already has access to products and already feels the liberation by being able to express themselves freely, Uh, going and solving for the same user is not going to solve anything new,
3: right? It is. Do you then risk, say, a Bengali user or uh, a Kannada-speaking user effectively then being bound by or being limited by what that community will talk about and not being able to observe... Or interact oh, with what? So, one of the unsolved
4: problems is to bind a single language community tighter, right? Uh, so you're talking. These are two separate problems, right? Can you bind the one language stronger is one problem. Can you get Bengali guys to talk to Kannadigas and Tamilians and Marathi guys is another problem. So you will have to do it step by step, right? But unless you bind one language strong, there is no point in making, there's a, 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 there being a cross communication between people. I get important. it.
3: I also assume that each state in India is effectively equal to like countries and their populations generally. when yeah, So you're saying there's a large yeah, enough yeah, market.
5: Yeah, 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 so I have a question. So this part about how language is the fundamental underpinning, like we, you've said this many times that Western products that come to for an Indian audience do not understand the sensitivity and it always starts with language. For this hypothesis, have you seen other products that have basically used this hypothesis, maybe in very different ways, obviously not in microblocking, but in very different ways and become successful? Because I can't think of any. So it seems like a very big assumption on something that I haven't seen tested or demonstrated.
4: Yeah. So if I put you into... So let's say you go to France and you start working Hmm. there, right? Hmm. And I start giving you only French apps, yeah, right? And it's it's something that you want to use, right? But you will not be able to use it. You don't understand the language. You don't understand the context. You don't understand who are these people. That is how an Indian language speaker feels when they use an English app, Hmm. right? And especially in thoughts and opinions, what people are talking about on that platform matters, right? For, I'll give you an example. There are different hashtag trend, top hashtag trends that happen in different language communities on coup. On a November 1st, there will be Kannada Sabha in Canada community. Hmm. No other community across India will even be talking about it. But it will be the number one trend in Canada, hmm. right? Similarly, there will be number one trends, even today, if you go to Pooh and switch between languages, you will find that the top hashtag trend will be different in different languages. Unless there
3: are a few days when, uh, you know, it's a national issue. Hmm. Sure. But right. Aparamaya, can I ask you then, like if if, you're, if the essence of your argument is that just the ability to consume and express yourself in a local language, is so important then what if Twitter just for instance enables 8 or 10 languages on their platform they why wouldn't they be able right so then why you know so <laughs> So what is it that so if it's not language then what is it then no so
4: it is language it is a deeper connect of language what, what does that mean the subtle, the subtle nuances of so you, you go on uh, Twitter right and let's say you find a Hindi tweet
3: hmm.
4: you have most of it in English yeah right your eye will not focus on the Hindi tweet it will skip it
5: so my is your argument that it's
3: mixed sorry go
5: ahead no I was saying that because my Hindi is not that great my eye usually goes to the translate this tweet link so I just tap, tap that that, no, that, is a, that is
4: a you know second grade citizen treatment no
5: <laughs> and you have to
4: sit and hit translate for me. Eh? Who- I mean, I'm, I'm not arguing that the user experience. No, I get is- it.
3: Like on Koo, you know, when I go to the Koo app website, I select a language from the top right and the entire site changes, right? Yeah, so, my yeah. question is what if that option existed on Facebook and on Twitter? And I suppose it does, right? Like, if the entire site, if those sites are rendered in one language, then what's your USP vis a vis that?
4: You're missing the.
3: Certain very very
4: important points, hmm. which is it isn't as superficial as okay, change the language on the app. Okay, it is the unique community that is being formed on coup. Hmm.
3: That so every social why is that why is that unique to you? Why why can't someone like millions of Indians who use WhatsApp and Facebook, for instance, why if say Facebook allowed multiple languages, uh, both like, you know, um, with the same Obviously ease as you do.
4: You, you have to go back to the mood. Okay. So let's not mix up f- Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. No, you talk about Twitter. We talk about Twitter because that's awesome. That I agree. With, hmm. Right? Hmm. But the nuances are about the unique people network. Hmm. Okay? Now we have to imagine. Close your eyes and imagine people being connected for a reason. Okay. Think of it as Google Maps. There are. I can Im- I can imagine it. It's Google all like has- a, it's like vertices and for a reason. Right. On on a existing platform like Twitter, there is a people network that is already established. Correct. There is a graph essentially of some. The people on who don't even exist on that graph. Hmm. Okay. One. Hmm. Second, because they don't even exist on that graph, and they exist on who the network being formed between people who don't exist anywhere is unique. Hmm.
5: Right?
4: So is
3: this like a TikTok versus YouTube kind of argument that the people who were using TikTok and excelling at it were never on YouTube so therefore it was okay. never... A...
4: moods are different. Uh, mm-hmm.
3: so... Well, that was true in that case, right? TikTok and YouTube were entirely different moods.
4: Yeah, yeah. So the moods are different and hence the network... So YouTube was a repository of videos which was driven by search, because Mm. they built for the English speaking audience, which always searched. Mm. TikTok was formed as short videos, which are, uh, you know, by uh, browsing, not by search. Mm. Right. You're not searching for Coke
5: videos or whatever, right. You know, Coca-Cola ads or whatever it is, right.
3: Thank you for clarifying that. Oh,
5: yeah. <laughs> no, but I do understand this, No, I genuinely do. Because in the sense that I think what Aparamia is basically saying, rohan is that Ku is an app that is language first. And language is very a core part of the DNA of the app. And it is a core part of the DNA of the user who's using the app. And because it's language first, the first community and interest group that you form are dominantly based on languages. And because languages are very closely tied to community in India, that is its differentiating advantage as compared to anyone else who just slaps on language as a all right say I, I buy
3: that point. say i buy that which actually allows me to segue into my third point which is essentially the users of coup right now and the initial cohorts um and like you know i mean i think it's been covered quite a bit how uh, the current like you know government has like you know taken to coup and a lot of its supporters have taken to coup etc and all that and Um, I mean, I'm quoting this um, article that Nilesh Christopher at Rest of the World had written where the title was How Ku Became India's Hindu Nationalist Approved Twitter Alternative. Let's forget that for a minute. So what I actually did was, Apremeya, I went to your website and I I selected the English option and then I looked at who you recommended um, as users to follow or trends. Then I selected Hindi and checked who you recommend as users to follow our trends. Then I selected Canada. But across all three of these languages, the common thing was that almost 90% of the people who were recommended were either ministers or politicians mem- belonging to the current ruling party or th- its supporters. So my question is, if ku is really as language-driven and community-driven, why is it that across three different languages, there's so much of similarity in who you recommend as trends or as people to follow.
4: Yeah. So we are a reflection of who uses it, right? One, different people will find different use cases on food. For example, in Canada, people write poems. They write different kinds of literature. They update people who follow them about their life and what happened in their life, right? Uh, Apart from just, talking about politics actually canada community doesn't talk about politics uh, at all right it is one of those communities which is very very happy talking about everything
3: apart from politics
1: right? mm-hmm.
3: now is that because they've given up on politicians <laughs> no no, no, no. I, I don't think
4: you know i can infer such things but uh, <laughs> it, it's it's basically because you know canadians have been relaxed about you know and focused on culture a lot more, right than other places. So they they are a hill station. It was supposed to be a, a retire retire uh, retired person's paradise, right? So I think that that is always there, right? They want to say, okay, I I know what I'm good at. I want I know my Kannada literature, and that's where I want to live. So each so everybody can download who and use it now. I cannot show something that is not there. If a person joins and uses Pooh, that is what... And if they're active, so there is a people algorithm. Hmm. It's not like I I choose, right? Hmm. The algorithm is based on how frequently are you uh, actually using the app and creating content and how liked it is, right? So that is a simple algorithm. If anybody else comes and gets their followers and uh, creates on the platform, they will also be recommended, right? Mm -hmm. So I think you you cannot make up stuff that is not there. And that's why you see what it is, right? The people who
3: love the platform are there, right? -hmm. But I wouldn't say- Is there a risk that it colors your platform in a particular way for new users because someone new who comes and sees and takes away uh, the thought that this yeah. platform is for politics and politicians.
4: No, so there, there was a peak use usage from a uh, particular set of users because of the Twitter versus government uh, thing that happened. Right hmm. now,
3: was be- that your product market fit moment?
4: <laughs> product market fit <laughs> moment.
3: Yeah, because a while ago you'd said that once we achieve product market fit. So I wanted to ask you, what was it that fit. moment when Co achieved it product fit. market fit? It was after our first community in Canada uh, that we actually said, "Okay, this is this is something that
4: people love, and they mm-hmm. don't have this experience anywhere else." Right? And uh, started focusing. But on I that. think
3: you can't deny the fact that Twitter's, um, uh, you know, what's the right word for it? Fight with the Indian government has been an anonymous uh, help.
4: Yeah. Who? Why would I deny that? <laughs> if if uh, you know there there is a need for. Uh, a particular uh, set of users to come and use us and they have a strong reason to use it? Yes. As in, especially if it's the government of India, why not? As in, we're an Indian company uh, registered here and uh, the government, your own government is using it. It's it's awesome, right? Like, why would I want, not want it?
5: Hmm. What ahead, Aparamia? So, I think now you've started, you've obviously got these set of users, etc. Where... I mean, I'm sure even with growth, there are like areas where you're going to go down. I One obvious place that I can think of is entertainment because if you are able to naturally segment users by community and language from the get-go, oh, there are a lot of movie industries across India who are going to be right. very interested. Correct. So there are,
4: uh, you know, for, for example, in sports, right? There's Saina Neval, there's Anil Kunde, there's Jawagal Srinath, uh, you know, so, all, all of these, like, Akash Chopra is there already on the platform. So, everybody is finding their moment to get on to coup. you know. It's not like, you know, you, uh, you just come on board together. Nobody's coordinating this effort. Right? So, people will find a use case that is relevant to them. And our use case for the celebrities of India is the fact that you can you can reach out to beyond English speakers with your thoughts and opinions right uh, on existing platforms you' you you're limited to English and English following predominates on coup hmm. you will be able to spread wider right hmm. And that Good. is very important right because you know if you look at who stands in a queue to buy tickets
5: either for a movie or a cricket match hmm. it is actually the Indian language user hmm. right? I mean I, I get your point Aprilia, about it being wide okay but I actually would argue that it is more about going deep. So, if I'm, say, hypothetically, a Kannada film star... I think I would make a great Kannada film star, by the way... Then I would be able to connect with Kannada speakers in one place. Rather than... It's not necessarily about me going talking necessarily to... Telugu speakers, Marathi speakers. No, I don't want that. I just want to go deep. And I have this opportunity to go deep and language gives me that. Correct.
1: Would it then
3: be fair to essentially call Ku Or Ku's ambitions to be the Weibo of India? Not the Twitter of India. And therefore your objective is to get, sign up 50% of India's internet users. What's that, 300 million? It
4: will be multiple Webos, right? Webo has one language to cater to. We have multiple languages, right? Uh-huh. Not just that, once we learn how to crack language, language first product, right? Then there are enough countries across, across the world, which need a language first approach to their audience for thoughts and opinions, right? Because there are countries which have 90% or more who don't know English. Right, just like India. Right, I'm not talking about the Western world. I'm talking about Southeast Asia. I'm talking about Africa. I'm talking about countries which you know need an alternative, right, right. for their language-speaking folks. Got it. So I think it's one. It is an Indian story. It is. A, it is Indian technology. It is our opportunity to build technology and take it to the world. Right. Today there is American technology which is taking their technology to the world. But it is for mostly English-speaking audience. Right? Here is our opportunity to say, okay, we know how to build locally. Right? And take it to everybody who wants technology which is local first.
3: Got it. My last question. What are you going to uh, spend most of this money that you've raised in this round for coup on? Or what are your top priority areas where you'd want to spend your money on? so our marketing
4: problems are solved right everybody in india kind of knows about <laughs> coop so we're not going to spend on marketing we're going to spend on resources right we're a very small team where we have a lot to build lot to do so we want to spend money on getting the right resources to build a world class product because it's not about just building for here right uh, we are uh, building to showcase what we are capable of uh, you know, India has always built technology, but we've built it for places which needed technology. Like during the Infosys, Wipro, TCS era, right? India didn't want technology then. The Western world wanted it. We were good at building it. So we were building it for them. Right? Then we had a few use cases that came in. Right? The English speaking population said, I want to put, book flight tickets. I want to book a movie ticket. I want to find a job. You know, those were built, like make my trip, now three and everything else. And then we said, okay, I also want to buy stuff online, Flipkart. I want to go by cab, you know, Ola, Uber taxi for sure, right? Now is the time when the broader audience has access to technology and there is no one better to build that technology than a local Indian person, Indian entrepreneur who has sat here and knows the nuances of how people uh, behave.
3: All right that's your argument and for now we'll give it to you when you go to a different country that argument will like you know swing against you though right because there'll be a local entrepreneur in Southeast Asia or in Africa who will say what does an Indian company know uh, to build these for I am the local so there will be an Apremia, Radha Krishna of uh, Southeast Asia or like not Southeast Asia so right each of the countries in Southeast Asia well,
4: hopefully we should be we should be able to go and uh, give the technology, uh, but allow them to operate the way they want, right? And not put in our role saying, this is the way I operate and this is what I want you to do, right? Uh, I think we'll be a lot more accepting of their local culture because we've been at the receiving end otherwise.
5: <laughs>
3: All right. Okay. Praveen, any closing comments from you?
5: Uh, no, I think it's definitely, I wouldn't say I'm entirely convinced, but I can see the, there is definitely merits in it. I can see like pockets where if it works, there are definitely competitive advantages I can see. But yeah, but I do wish you luck, Aparna. It's like, I've always been my, this thing to see a great social product that come out of India. And perhaps this is the no, one. No, we're building it right, man.
4: And uh, uh, I'm very confident. Uh, and hopefully we should be one of the first few products that really build well and take it to the globe. Right. so great think, uh, uh, M- best wishes
3: from me to Uh what I'll be doing is that every few weeks every few months uh, I'll be checking your default recommendations across <laughs> all the languages to see when it's no longer about politicians and politics I suppose that's when I'm convinced that your argument has actually found a fit across all these communities so best wishes till then
4: yeah thanks a and lot and thank you and
3: once again you for coming on our show you should
4: tell everybody who you know,
3: who is not in politics, to come and join who?
4: <laughs> Touche. Yeah.
3: Thanks, All right. Aramea. Thank you, Apramia. Okay.
5: Thank you. Thank you.
0: And that is the end of this episode of Unofficial Sources. We'd love to get feedback from you and know what you felt about this episode. Email us at podcast at the-ken.com or tweet at us at thekenweb. We link it in the show notes. If you'd also like to dive a bit deeper into the topics and discussions on this episode, you can find that in the additional reads left in the show notes. Other than that, thanks for tuning in and we will see you next fortnight on Unofficial Sources by The Ken.